Welcome to your business education station. This is Mind Your Business Radio on TalkZone.com. Our mission is to educate women and people of color about the financial and legal aspects of business, personal finance, and changing your money mindset to create financial freedom. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Florence Seiler, CPA, and Attorney Althea DeVar-Johnson. Well, hello, 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 Althea. How are you? Good morning. Dr. Flo, how are you doing? I'm doing just wonderful. I'm doing just wonderful. It's another wonderful day at Mind Your Business Radio. It certainly is. And I'm so glad to come into the studio and see my friend Althea because she is too busy for me otherwise. I'm just going to tell you guys, she used to uh, go to lunch with me once a week. Was it once a week? Once Once a month. Once a month. And now... Oh, she just her, she, her. Let me tell you something, but it's a good thing because that means her client base is just booming and so forth and so on. And it's tax season for me, so I guess we'll just see each other on Tuesdays out there. Is yeah, that okay? Well, we have our Toastmaster. Oh, that's okay. right. We do. We mm-hmm. do that again. We yeah. do that together. So, so that we'll allows me tomorrow. to see you a little bit. Oh yeah. Okay. I miss That's her. I be missing my friend. Yeah, we have great lunches, <laughs> great conversation and discussion. Thank you, Miss Leah. Yeah. Well, I am so excited today because we have a guest. Um, we have another attorney. I like to surround myself with, with attorneys. You feel safe when you surround yourself with attorneys. I have another attorney friend who is on the line. I guess I don't want to make a joke. I don't feel too No attorney joke. <laughs> We are going to talk today, family, about nonprofit organizations. And I have attorney Dexter Wimbush on the Wimbush on the line. Dexter is a municipal court judge uh, in Greensboro, Georgia. He was appointed by the Greensboro, Georgia uh, Board of Commissioners to serve as a municipal court judge. And he was the first black judge down there in Greensboro, Georgia. So we're excited about that. Dexter is also a adjunct law professor. He teaches business law and legal ethics uh, in the Stetson School of Business at Mercer University, which is my alma mater. And so that's exciting. But also he is a grants writer. Um, he is an independent development director. Uh, he has his own consulting firm, Dexter Wimbish Consulting. He's been doing that for almost 20 years. Um, he has been successful in getting grants awarded from $20,000 to $200,000. Um, and he has a wealth of uh, foundation grants that he has been able to solicit for a nonprofit organization. Dexter, are you there? I really appreciate you joining us. How are you? I'm wonderful, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be able to participate in this morning's conversation. Well, Dexter, we are really excited to have you, and so we're going to get right into it. Tell us just a little bit about how you got started working with nonprofit organizations. Well, about 20, about 20 years ago, uh, fresh out of law school, I got the opportunity to join the staff of the Center for Democratic Renewal, uh, which was founded in 1979. It was the old anti-Klan network, and what they mm. did was they monitored uh, the Ku Klux Klan and other uh, other over the other hate groups. And it was co-founded by uh, Dr. C. T. Vivian, who was of course a Presidential Medal of Honor award winner. And at that time, I came on to help document and raise funds and resources for churches, African-American churches that were being burned at the time. That was back in 1996. There was a 
I don't know if you recall, there was a, a rash of almost 250 African-American churches were being were victims of arson all across the country. And so I was asked to come in and help coordinate that project. And mm-hmm. after after that project ended, I ended up staying on as program director and eventually as as deputy director. And we would have this we had this grassroots uh, network with about twenty organizations, small community based organizations across the south. And I was tasked with the job of writing proposals to raise funds for those small organizations across the country, mostly in in rural areas, who were working on various issues from education, environmental justice, the criminal justice system, anything that affected the community. And and that's how I got started writing grants. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's an amazing story. Um, Now, it's not a... a, uh, uh, a process or is not a job or, or a position that's easily to to be fulfilled. I mean, it takes skill and certain amount of expertise to be a grant writer, wouldn't you think? Well, yes and no. It's, it's interesting that grant writing is more difficult than, than you might think, but at the same time, easier than you might think, if that makes any sense. I started doing it because because of my legal background and the ability to do technical writing, but my primary focus over the years has been in grassroots fundraising and grassroots grant writing, which is a little different than you than writing grants, say for you know federal grants for uh, a municipality, uh, because grassroots fundraising it really involves connecting with funders who have similar interests. That's the organization that you're writing uh, writing for, and, and so once you can begin to to capsulize what it is the organization wants to do, the next process is just trying to identify different foundations that provide funding for that area, and it, it, it's it's difficult because every funding every funder has a different set of guidelines. And so the, the tricky, the trick is being able to craft a document that speaks to those guidelines, but at the same time, it, you don't lose the character and the integrity of the organization. Okay, now I have a lot of clients who always, um, I always have to educate them on how grant writers get compensated because a lot of times people will say, well, I want this grant writer to write me a grant and then he can just take his a fee out of the grant, and I said, no, 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 uh, that is not how it works. Can you explain <laughs> how soliciting yeah. and working with a grant writer works? Well, let me preface my—I mean, preface this statement by saying that you know my grant writing experience has come from working with organizations, actually being on being on staff. There are uh-huh. times there, there are times when you know I would volunteer time until the monies came in from the grant. Before I would go, actually go on payroll. Uh, okay. It's, it's very dangerous to enter into arrangements where grant writers say, "Well, I'll write the grant and then I'll take ten percent of ten percent of the proceeds." That's that's unethical in actuality. Uh, that's not the way to do it. You have to be in a position where you can pay the grant writer up front mm-hmm. and let the grant. And, and this is what I tell people. I I. 
I advise individuals to raise enough money to pay a grant writer to write a master proposal. Yes. And what I what I mean by a master proposal is pay somebody, you know, five hundred to a thousand dollars, whatever the case, whatever they're going to charge, to write a proposal that is comprehensive in nature. That mm-hmm. will that will address everything that you want to address. That will include a budget, and then you can take that master proposal yourself and cut and paste from it and construct right. and construct a proposal that is uh, conducive to uh, funding from that particular funding agency. And that way you don't get in a situation where the grant writer has too much control and influence over the organization. You don't get into a situation, you know, where people pay grant writers to pay grant. And, you know, if if you write 20 grants and you get one positive response, that's actually a success. But if if you're paying a grant writer, you know, every time they write a grant and that grant's not funded, or if you're paying a grant writer, and then when the grant comes in and they're taking out, if you get a $10,000 grant and, you know, the grant writer's charging $2,000, you only got $8,000, that money doesn't go very far. So it's one of those situations where, you know, I, I tell people the fee-based arrangement with grant writers, I believe, is, is unethical and, and not one they should enter into. Okay. And, and and I agree with you, and that's why I, I, I always say, well, you know, I don't really know anybody uh, that works like that, and if I did know someone that works like that, I wouldn't want to recommend them. Sure. You know, because of that, because of that conflict. That seems like a just an, a conflict. I like what you said, though. This is the first time I've heard this. Um, I have nonprofit clients, but I, I'm definitely not a, a grant writer or a grant expert. Um, but one of the things that I, I heard you say, Dexter, that I think is awesome is that to pay someone to actually write a master grant. Because, yeah, the truth is, a lot of these grants ask for the same information, don't they? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so if if you could just tailor it, right? It's just how you you package it. And and the other thing is I I advise to to my clients and and, and the organization I work with is to narrow your focus. You know, most... Nine times out of ten when I write a grant, I never write more than three deliverables in a grant. And the okay. reason I do that is because three is a manageable number. The worst mm-hmm. thing that can happen is if you say you're going to do seven or eight, ten things, and you actually get the money, and then you get the money and realize you can't do the work. Because then it's going to be a, then it's going to be a one-time shot because you're going to get the money, you're not going to produce on your deliverables, and, and, and the funder is not going to be apt to give you uh, funding in the future. When, I, when we keep with that three, that's the number I know that we can produce. And it's two things with grant writing. One is, you know, you have to do what you say you're going to say you're going to do. And then two, you have to nurture the relationship with the funder. And the nurturing of the relationship with the funder is probably one of the most important aspects of it because, you know, when you get to know the funder, and I know that, that can be difficult at times, but when you get to know the funder, it makes the process a whole lot easier. Also, you know, look for foundations that, you know, in their uh, uh, request for proposals, uh, they may oftentimes say we're going to have a conference call on a certain day to talk about the proposal and what we're looking for. You know, those are very 
uh, important things to look for because you can get an idea as to what the funder is looking for, and then you can tailor your proposal for that. You know, for you know, for example, I was working with a group up in Gainesville, probably for about almost 15 years, and we did environmental race, we did environmental racism, and we and there was an opportunity to uh, get some money to do to put a community garden. And we were able to pull out the work we had done with environmental racism and tailor that to the grant. And we got $20,000 to actually construct a, a garden in the heart of a minority neighborhood in, in Gainesville. And, and now they're moving towards actually doing an outdoor farmer's market in that neighborhood in, in the spring and in the summer to bring in fresh fruits and vegetables to the, to a community that historically does not have access or does not place a whole lot of value on the importance of fruits and vegetables. Well, that's, that's awesome. Um, one of the, I have a, I, I just had a couple of questions about what you said and um, I want you to uh, elaborate a little bit on nurturing this relationship mm-hmm. uh, with nonprofit uh, funders, with foundations and things like that. It sounds a lot like, um, Dexter, what I used to have to do as a partner of a firm, going out for a government contract or going out answering any RFP. I had to know who was on the selection committee. I had to make uh, our firm known. Um, uh, I had to make sure that in some sort of way uh, they kind of knew about us before our RFP actually um, hit their desk. And so it's it's really almost like a lobbying effort, and I know nonprofits aren't supposed to lobby. So, can you sort of touch on a little bit about what this nurturing relationship with the fundraiser sort of involves? And 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 we we're gonna go to break in a minute, but if you could just touch on that. Well, you have to look at the way the the fund the funder is set up, and most times with a fund with a foundation, you're gonna have what's known as a program officer. And the program officer is going to have uh, a set of priorities, uh, and they only approve grants for those priorities. So mm-hmm. you take a you take a look at <clears throat> excuse me how the uh, how the funder is set up, and it, and you can reach out to the program officer, you know, and just to get a feel as to what they're looking for. Also check those websites to see what conferences they're going to be uh, attending because funders funders travel the country looking for. Uh, new, new new grantees, so you can you know look at ways of networking and identify areas where you can get in contact with those funders and just strike up a conversation. Most most program uh, officers are, are very approachable. You know, sure. Their job their job is to identify groups uh, that are in line with you know, the priorities of of their organization, and, and so it's just like nurturing relationships with. with people in your everyday life. You know, it's okay. Yeah. So, Dexter, we're going to take a break right now, and we want you to come back. When we come back after the break, we want you to continue with the discussion, and I have a couple questions. You're listening to Mind Your Business Radio with Dexter Wimbush. Thanks for listening to Mind Your Business Radio, and we'd like to know a little bit more about you. Please visit our Facebook page 
and take a brief survey to let us know what you'd like to hear on our program. You could win a free financial or estate planning consultation. Just go to Facebook.com backslash MindYourBizRadio or search Mind Your Business Radio on Facebook. And thanks again for listening to Your Business Education Station. You can file your own taxes. It's simple. Just click MyOwnTaxReturn.com. But if filing your own taxes is not for you, they've got you covered. Just click MyOwnTaxReturn.com to reach a real CPA. Most advice is free. Or you can hire a CPA if you're still convinced that tax preparation is just not for you. And they have tax tips that you can use for the upcoming tax season. It's all right here on MyOwnTaxReturn.com. That's MyOwnTaxReturn.com. You're listening to Mind Your Business Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Dr. Florence Seiler and Althea DeBar-Johnson. All right. We are back. We are back. We are back, Mind Your Business listeners. And um, we are talking to attorney Dexter Wimbish. And he is uh, a grant writer. He is also a, uh, a municipal court, court judge, judge. Uh, mm-hmm. and is it Greensboro, uh, Althea? Is she? I yes. said Greensboro, yes. And so we're excited to have him. Um, Dexter, Althea had a really, really important question about some of the things you were saying, because you were talking about, we were talking about how nonprofit organizations, some of the nurturing relationship things that they need to do, uh, to make sure that the funders know who they are before they issue that grant. But also, once they get the grant, there's a whole lot of responsibilities like right out there yeah, that you're talking about. And I, there are a whole lot of responsibilities, and I want you to kind of touch on that um, accountability um, reporting uh, requirements. And have you seen organizations that you work with get into in trouble, and how do they get in trouble? Well... There's a there's an expression, Robin Peter the PayPal. <laughs> yes. And, yes. And that is what gets most organizations in trouble. And I've actually, you know, and I'm very sensitive to this because, you know, after, as you know, as an attorney, you have you have legal obligation, ethical yes. obligation. And I, I always have to tell uh, the organization I'm working with, you know, you have to be very careful what you bring to me and what you asked me to get involved in. Because I'm not going to get involved in anything that's going to jeopardize my, my my law license. And I'm not getting involved in anything that's going to have me question my, my moral and ethical obligation. That's correct. And it, it's not that organizations intentionally run afoul of reporting requirements and, uh, and mismanaging money and co-managing funds. They're just out there trying to yeah, most of them are out there trying to do the business that needs to be done in our community and don't have any experience in, in accounting and ensuring that monies that are raised are spent a certain way. And that's why I talked about, you know, the, the, the minimum of three goals, because you don't want to be in a situation where you've got a $10,000 grant over here to provide you know, mentoring services, and but you need some money because you've got an outreach program for voter education. And it's so easy to take, you know, $10,000 out of one, one account and use it for the other program that you're going to get some money in, and you put that money back into the account. And in my experience, it never happens. 
it, it never happens. And it's it just like happens. with our IOLA account. You cannot co-mingle funds. That's right. right. You need to keep accounts separate or you are asking for trouble. And that's one of the things that I try to stress with some organizations, making sure that sources of funding, uh, contributions, uh, donations, grant monies are in mm-hmm. one separate account and your operating account is in another. In another. And if, yeah. you, and, if, and if you can make a transfer, you need to have some documentation that the transfer is proper. Uh, you know, most of it is about, you know, keeping proper account, you know, proper accounting method. Uh, but as I say, you know, when smaller organizations, well, not even small, even some of the larger organizations, mm-hmm. they just, you know, they focus on doing the work. They do a very bad job of doing the accounting for the management of funds. And the better you are at managing the funds, you know, the more likely you are to get funded because people can trust you with the money. The worst thing that can happen is there's some sort of, some sort of controversy. You know, about five years ago, I, I was the National General Counsel for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. You know, for, for my, what? I'm sorry. I didn't get you. For the National SCLC. Okay, SCLC. Uh, SCLC. And you know, that, that was my, that was my dream job. It was a job I wanted coming out of law school to actually be in a public interest organization where I could utilize my legal background and my other talents to help lead an organization. And we got involved in, you know, a major uh, controversy over how funds were being managed, mismanaged, mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know, I was asked to look into some questionable activities and discover sure. that there was a separate account in another state uh, <laughs> being managed by <laughs> Members of the, certain members of the board of directors, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, red flag, red flag. And it red got, flag. It got, it got really, it got really nasty, uh, and it, it was, it was just so tragic, and it didn't have to happen. Well, the, the sad thing is too is that when you have an organization like SCLC, then when another chapter or something of SCLC or a chapter of Urban League or some other social organization tries to go to that same well to get a grant. Now there's all types of red flags that come up. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's hard to go back to that funder um, with another, uh, you know, black organization or another organization similar. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, and, and it is. And uh, again, accountability, accountability is, is really an important aspect of, receiving any type of funding from other people for the, with the specific purposes of using that funding for the for the purpose that you apply for. Well, because of a lot of mismanagement, Dexter, I have seen lately in a lot of the grant contracts, I have seen lately that um, the, um, uh, the, the person re- uh, requesting the grant, that, that uh, person putting in the application has to have an audit. And, um, you know, audits aren't cheap. I don't do audits cheap. And one of the things that I, I noticed was, uh, you know, that was good for us. That brought us a lot of business because nonprofit organizations had to have audit reports. But I noticed that uh, a lot of the, you know, right after Sarbanes-Oxley, after, you know, the, oh, yes. the, the yeah, it, it, you know, the government, the federal government, if there's any federal government money involved in any of these grants, they started having some of the same strict 
restrictions, you know, uh, and requirements. Uh, and a lot of smaller nonprofits can't meet those requirements because they just don't have the capital to hire the right people to, to, to keep everything in order like it sh- like it should be. Well, but, you know, the, that's why we go. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Jackson. You know, that's why when you're looking at, you know, you're talking about board composition. You know, look for attorneys and look for CPAs to sit on the board. And, Absolutely. And, and, and sell it in a way, you know, we, we may not need you in terms of government all the time, but and we may not need and you may not need to give us any monetary contribution. But if you can just commit to do our audit on an annual basis, do our 990 on an annual basis, you know, that, that kind of in-kind contribution can greatly enhance an organization. And see, uh, again, uh, and Dexon, I'm so glad you're talking about this because mm-hmm. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I took a uh, continuing legal education concerning nonprofit uh, compliance issues. Mm-hmm. And if you, it's cheaper to pay for an audit than to go to jail. <laughs> okay. It's much cheaper to pay for an audit. It's much cheaper to do the right thing. It's much cheaper to keep things separate than end up in jail. And I think what happens is a lot of nonprofit and organizations, they feel that they are operating under the radar and nothing's going to happen to them. And that's not necessarily true. And, and that's true. That That is so true, um, Althea. One of the nonprofits that I used to audit uh, got into trouble uh, because it was very prominent in the community and they almost felt as though because they were so prominent in the community and because they were so well connected in the community that they could keep being forgiven, mm-hmm. you know, for all of the misappropriations and things that are, were going on. And, and, and it was like, no, at some point your funding is going to be pulled. And if your funding is pulled, because if there's bad press on you and it's really easy to figure out who your funders are, those funders don't want to be attached to bad publicity. Absolutely. And so if you are going down that road of, 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 of doing things, you know, um, that are borderline illegal, because if you sign that grant contract and you don't keep the funds uh, appropriately, um, there could even be some legal action. No one wants to be associated with that. Right. And not only this legal action with the organization, the board, it can be some individual legal actions against you. And so why go down that, that, that path? Absolutely. One of the things, too, um, Dexter, we're going to uh, we're, we're, we're getting ready for another break and another. This, I know it goes really fast because this is a good conversation. But one of the things I wanted to mention since we're talking about compliance, if any of our listeners are out there and you have a nonprofit organization and you're looking at grants that say reimbursable, they're reimbursable grants, you need to understand that a reimbursable grant is depending on you putting out the money first and then submitting a receipt or whatever to prove that you paid the money and they will reimburse you. A lot of nonprofit organizations get in trouble. Get in trouble. They get in trouble because they try to play the the reimbursable grant game by actually not paying the bill. They don't have the money to actually fund the program, right? So they make up something as if they're funding the program so they can get reimbursed from the grant, but really what they're doing, right, they have not really put out the funds. And so you're going to find yourself in a hole. Uh, what, what Dexter said earlier, robbing Peter to pay Paul. At some point, you got to pay Peter, 
Okay, you can rob Peter to pay Paul, but Peter at some point has to get paid. And so it will catch up with you. Okay, um, and Dexter, we're going to take a break right now, but uh, we're going to come right back. We have attorney Dexter Wimbush, Judge Dexter Wimbush, Wimbush. on Mind Your Business Radio. Thanks for listening to Mind Your Business Radio. And we'd like to know a little bit more about you. Please visit our Facebook page and take a brief survey to let us know what you'd like to hear on our program. You could win a free financial or estate planning consultation. Just go to Facebook.com backslash Mind Your Biz Radio or search Mind Your Business Radio on Facebook. And thanks again for listening to your business education station. You can file your own taxes. It's simple. Just click. If filing your own taxes is not for you, we've got you covered. Just click to reach a real CPA. Most advice is free. Or you can hire a CPA if you're still convinced that tax preparation is just not for you. It's all right here on MyOwnTaxReturn.com. That's MyOwnTaxReturn.com. Welcome back to Mind Your Business Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Dr. Florence Seiler and Althea DeBar-Johnson. All right, all right. We are back with uh, Mind Your Business Radio. We are back with attorney uh, Dexter uh, Wimbush, and we were talking about some compliance issues. One of the things that I want to uh, kind of just uh, take, well, I want to make sure we do this before we end the show uh, Dexter, we want, we want to talk about the types of nonprofit organizations out there. There might be some listeners who are interested in starting a nonprofit organization. And most nonprofit organizations are 501c3 organizations, which is the uh, IRS code 501c3. So you have to make an application uh, 1023 with the uh, IRS. However, there are a lot of other uh, types of organizations, uh, and uh, private foundations are usually the types of organizations that actually uh, actually uh, have grant money. Uh, private foundations are organizations uh, that are tax exempt, and they provide they distribute money to other charities. So they're sort of like a pass through, okay? A funding source. A funding source, right? And so. Um, they uh, have monies that they give to a lot of different charities. And so a lot of times they're the ones that put out the grant contracts. And so if you're looking to do a nonprofit organization, uh, you have to understand that that nonprofit organization has to fit into one of these categories. If you're applying with the IRS, it has to fit into one of these categories. It has to either be a religious organization or it has to be an educational organization it could fit into human services. It could be a health organization. It could be an organization that promotes arts, culture, and humanities. It can uh, promote something regarding the environment or animals or animal protection uh, or anything for children, a public society benefit. Uh, and we talked about foundations and also uh, any types of international Affairs. These are types of things that the IRS will take a look at when you file that application. That is not a just a simple check the box application. It is a very involved application. It usually takes the IRS 
anywhere between six weeks to uh, uh, three or four months to actually reply um, to those applications, and uh, some of them do get rejected. Okay, so just so you, that you guys know out there, uh, and nonprofit organizations are tax exempt. All right, but if you uh, fail to 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 file your tax, you have to file a tax return. If you fail to do that, if you fail to uh, keep good records, like uh, Attorney Althea and Dexter were talking about, you could very much so lose your tax exemption. Yes, you can lose your tax exemption uh, if you don't do that. Also, a nonprofit organization is not owned by an individual. You might be the founder of a nonprofit organization. You might start a nonprofit organization. It is not your business. It is not like a for-profit business. You do not have equity, okay? So you cannot, you are an employee of your nonprofit. You cannot just withdraw money from your nonprofit organization if you're a founder or you start a nonprofit organization or you're an executive director of a nonprofit organization. You do not get, it is not an investment. You do not get money out of that uh, nonprofit organization other than through a salary. If you put money into the organization, you can do it as a donation, uh, but it, you, you know, there's no stock. You don't own any stock or anything like that. Okay. So just to make that very clear, I wanted to make sure we clarify that for our listeners. It is very different, uh, from a for-profit organization. All right. So let's get back to these, 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 this grant writing. Um, so there's a lot of money out there, Dexter. Is there a lot of money out there? Yeah, there's a lot of money out there. It's just, a, it's just how do you access it? You know, you've got funding sources from large, uh, from large foundations. You've got corporations that have giving programs. Uh, you have uh, smaller family foundations that uh, that, that give that uh, give money. Uh, you know, there's millions and billions of dollars out there. It's just a matter of accessing it. Okay. You know? Go ahead, and is is this something? Uh, what type of services do you provide for the organization? Uh, we understand the, the right grant writer, but sometimes we got to kind of educate um, organization as to mm-hmm. what is required before you can take that step of, of submitting writing and even submitting a grant. What services do you all offer? Well, I do offer grant writing services. Uh, my hourly rate is one hundred and fifty dollars an hour with a with a ten hour minimum because I think you have to at least be able to commit ten hours you know to get that process started. Um, and we also I offer services in terms of helping to set up the uh, the IRS five hundred sixty designation by filing the ten twenty three. Uh, I've, I've done those. Uh, I help uh, organizations locate, you know, accountants and CPAs who can who can help them develop the budgets and do some do some oversight. Uh, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm one of those old school attorneys out here. You know, mm-hmm. I'm at college general practice. <laughs> you know, uh, especially in in the in the African American African American community, you know, it's hard sometimes to specialize in any one area of law. And so I, I wear a tremendous number of hats because you get so many requests. Um, uh, but, you know, setting up a nonprofit, it involves a lot. I'm actually working on setting up a, a new nonprofit now um, uh, with some colleagues who I met over the last 20 years. It's called the Willie Lynch Project. And so we're getting ready to walk through that process of setting the organization up, 
picking a, uh, a diverse and responsive board of directors to help develop guidelines to govern the organization. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back into the community and try to instill some of those values into our young people that have been lost over the years and provide some structure that's resulting in, in them, you know, not being lost, but we've got to get, we got to take some personal responsibility in our community as to what's going on with our community. You know, the days of, and, you know, you can't blame the victim, but at the same time, you know, we got to take some personal responsibility and start to teach our young people there are certain ways they should conduct themselves. You know, they have, they have freedoms that they should enjoy, but at the same time, we got to get a lot of this self-hatred that we have in our communities, jealousy, this lack of a love for one another, one another that's driving some of this violence in our country. And that's one of the things I'm working on now through, uh, through a nonprofit. And that's how I see nonprofits. Nonprofits are a way to channel your passion mm-hmm. into, uh, channel your passion into something that's worthwhile and that will help change your community. And I think that's why you have so much mismanagement in, uh, in the nonprofit community is that people, we, they get away from the purpose of a nonprofit. Yes. And, yeah. and, and, and it becomes something that they hold on to as if, uh, as Flo said, as if it belongs to them. Right. Even, mm-hmm. and even, in the evo- even in the evolution of the church, who the church, you know, a church, you know, has a, has an automatic nonprofit status. Uh, tax exempt status, but you even have churches incorporated as a 501c3. And when they do that, a lot of times the focus of the church will change. And, mm-hmm. and it caused a lot of dissension within, within the church. You know, not, you know, you have to be doing the, doing good for the public. It's not about you, as, as you guys stated before. It's just not about you. You gotta be doing something good for the community. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so many problems in society now because people are running nonprofits as if they are a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Right. And that's not, and that's not why a nonprofit was created. A nonprofit is not, is not to be created so you can go out and buy a new house or a new car and fancy clothes. You have to actually be doing the work of the people. And I, I think eventually, the IRS is going to start cracking down on nonprofits because there are so many of them now. Yes. And they're, and they're just not doing what they're established to do. And they're giving the good nonprofits a bad name. That's right. true. And, that is very true. And I, I know that from taking that, that particular course. In fact, I'm getting ready to take another one in March. Uh, yes, they are going to crack down on a lot of nonprofits. Oh, absolutely. And they're already starting to do it through the uh, through the tax return. Yes. Uh, they haven't gotten, uh, Dexter, they haven't gotten um, uh, actually into the field yet, uh, but I uh-huh. believe they're going to start going into the field like they used to do in the old days where the IRS agent knocks at your door. Yes. They might start doing field tests, uh, field audits, but right now, they are definitely doing desk audits, meaning that it is more, I, I think you might have seen this, Dexter, it is a little bit more difficult to get a 1023 application across an IRS agent's desk without, you know, 1020 questions coming back to you. Yes. Um, right. I used to be able to do those applications and just wait for a positive response, and now you get 10 or 20 questions coming back. Uh, they are actually 
searching the internet uh, for your name and for your organization to make sure that you are who you say you are, that you are dedicated, yes, to doing what you say you're doing. If you have a website up, uh, they're looking at the website to see if there's any personal promotion in the website. Um, and then they are sticking to making sure that you file that tax return form 990. If you have, if you have 25,000 or less in revenues, it's a real simple application. You can do it. Uh, I mean, it's a real simple tax return. You can uh, do the tax return, the annual tax return uh, on the irs.gov website. It's called a postcard. Um, so it's a 990. I believe it's uh, in like Nancy. Uh, it's a postcard that you just do on the website. All you're doing is certifying that you only had uh, 25000 or less in revenues. But if you have 25000 or more, you need to do a real form uh, 990 tax return, have your accountant do that for you, and make sure that you file it every year uh, by the deadline. And uh, the nonprofit deadline, I believe, is May 15th. Uh, you have a little extra time. I believe if you if you have a calendar year, it's May 15th. But you have to get that done. If you miss doing that tax return three consecutive years, you will lose your 501c3 status. Yes. They will take it away from you, and it will be no discussion. Um, so they not, are really cracking down. Yes, sir. And if you lose it, it is not a pleasant experience trying to get it back. Absolutely. Um, it's I, I, not. Yeah, yeah, I went through that process, and it took us about, Two and a half years to get that designation uh, back with a, with, a, I believe uh, it. with a company that had been an organization that had been existed for more than thirty five years and had gone dormant, and it was just a it was just a booger bear trying to get that thing back, you know, get yeah. that designation back. So, so Dexter, do you is the reason is one of the reason why a lot of nonprofits don't receive any type of grants or funding is because they don't have their structure in <laughs> order. And when and Althea, let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. When you mean when you say structure, can we just call it what it is? They don't have a decent <laughs> board of directors. They because do you see a lot of nonprofits? I see a lot of nonprofits who try to stack the deck with uh, if you start a nonprofit and you try to stack the deck with people who are just gonna say yes to everything that you want to do instead of trying to get true professionals on your board who might have to uh, challenge you to take something in a different direction. Absolutely. That's having your structure in order, having your finances in mm -hmm. order, doing what it is that you're supposed to do. I, I, it happens, but that is the kind of thing, and Dexter, you can tell me this, uh, that will cause you not to get funding. Uh, well, without a doubt, I mean, people look at who you are, who you have around you. And, you know, <laughs> people start nonprofits and they put their mama and their daddy and their uncle on yeah. the board of directors. <laughs> you know, and, and, you, and you think that the person reviewing the proposal is not going to be smart enough to say, hey, why did they have all the, why do they all have the same last name? They know exactly, they know exactly what's going on. Right. And, and so, and so you can pay a, a grant writer all the money in the world. And the other thing is, you know, grant writers have to be accountable and they have to be responsible. I, had, I was having a conversation, you know, just the other day with somebody who talked about some grant writing and they were looking for some, uh, some services. And I was like, well, first of all, you know, 
you have to be very careful about who you bring into your organization because mm-hmm. you can have grant writers who can an organization can approach them and as opposed to saying, look, stop, work on your structure, develop a clear work, develop a clear mission statement, you know, come up with some goals and objectives. But they don't do that. They just write a proposal and they take they take their money. Full well knowing that this proposal has no chance of being funded by anybody, uh, yes. but they, they take the cash and they and they run. And, and then you have people out here. Well, I, I I tried to talk. I tried to give such and such some work, and they just took my money, and we didn't we didn't get any money, and we hadn't seen them. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and, and Dexter, I, I understand, but but. Uh, Leo is telling us that we must take a break. Our, our intern <laughs> makes us take our breaks, Dexter. We, we, we get this all the time because we want to keep going and going. Let me tell you guys, you can call in at 188-GO-FOR-IT, 188-463-6748 if you want to talk to us or Attorney Wimbush. You're listening to Mind Your Business Radio. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Mind Your Business Radio, and we'd like to know a little bit more about you. Please visit our Facebook page and take a brief survey to let us know what you'd like to hear on our program. You could win a free financial or estate planning consultation. Just go to Facebook.com backslash Mind Your Biz Radio or search Mind Your Business Radio on Facebook. And thanks again for listening to your business education station. You can file your own taxes. It's simple. Just click MyOwnTaxReturn.com. But if filing your own taxes is not for you, they've got you covered. Just click MyOwnTaxReturn.com to reach a real CPA. Most advice is free. Or you can hire a CPA if you're still convinced that tax preparation is just not for you. And they have tax tips that you can use for the upcoming tax season. It's all right here on MyOwnTaxReturn.com. That's MyOwnTaxReturn.com. Welcome back to Mind Your Business Radio on TalkZone.com. Here's Dr. Florence Seiler and Althea DeBar-Johnson. Yes, yes, we, we are have back. Some interesting <laughs> conversations <laughs> off air. I tell you some interesting conversations off air. I promise you guys, if if, if we weren't, if, if well, I, I'll speak for myself. If I wasn't afraid of being sued, I would be telling a lot of personal stories oh, yes. about uh, about client incidences that have taken place, nonprofit client incidences that have taken place. And Althea and I were just talking about the fact that um, a, a big part of my previous pr- practice was nonprofit organizations. And some of the things that we, we just had to, we had to consult them on was just unbelievable. And a lot of it came from the fact that the board was not competent. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not telling right. who who my client was, but a lot of the boards were just not competent, and they don't want to seem to change to be in compliance when maybe someone is trying to tell them, well, this is not the best path that we ought to be going here. Absolutely, and, and with Congress and the the um, Sarbanes Oxford, yes. Mm-hmm. Act, we a lot of folks are gonna get in, in big serious trouble. And the and the reason why, uh, ladies and gentlemen that are listening, the reason why 
is because even though Sarbanes-Oxley Act was for for-profit corporations that are publicly traded, what the federal government has seen is they have seen that that was some good legislation that brought about the compliance that they needed to protect the public. So what do they do? They decide they're going to adopt a lot of the Sarbanes-Oxley legislation into nonprofit, nonprofit simply because a lot of federal government money goes into these foundations who are giving out the money. So there's a lot of pat. There's a lot of uh, if you go back and look where maybe the funnel uh, comes from, where the money comes from, a lot of it is federal government money. So if you have federal government, state government, local government money uh, that is part of this grant, you are going to have a lot of compliance things that you have to to deal with simply so that you can be accountable uh, for that grant. And if you are not ready, if you are not set up to do that, if you do not have competent people like Dexter alluded to on your board, because you might not be able to pay for them, but you can at least try to recruit them on your board of directors. If you don't have that, you might want to consider holding off going for some of these uh, grants that are out there because they will require you to be accountable. And so you had something else you were trying to say out there. I think I cut you off. No, no, no. I I kind (laughs) of want uh, uh, Dexter to kind of piggyback on what you you just said on this. Dexter? Dexter, are you there? Piggyback on in terms of well, in, in terms on the of board of directors, directors and the compl- and the whole compliance thing that the things that we've seen in our practice. Well, you know, one at, at, at the basis of it all is that one of the, the core ideals is that board members are fiduciaries of an organization. Yes, and they need to understand that going in. They need to understand that this organization that you decided to to represent also represents you, and you have a fiduciary responsibility to ensure ethical governance. You have a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that monies are spent where they're supposed to be spent, and if they're not, you have to be held accountable. So, you know, in my, and I'm not going to any personal stories, but over the, over the years, when you go to many boards of directors and say, this is going on and it shouldn't be going on, you don't get a very engaged response because oftentimes the very people who are sitting on the board have their own organization and they're conducting those organizations in the same manner in which <laughs> the board is sitting on. And, <laughs> it's, uh, you have, you have people who don't really want to go after, you know, the executive director or a program director for, for not managing this particular organization correctly because they're managing their organization the same, <laughs> the the same, same way. way. Right. And and, and, and and people have their own personal agendas. Exactly. And, and so you have to get people who are dedicated and committed to the organization and who are going to be neutral in a sense that when they see something's not being done right, they raise the issue and, the, and they demand that it be changed and they don't stick their head in the sand because when, you know, when somebody tells you that money's being mismanaged, you know, that should be a red flag. Right. Uh, but people just, for whatever reason, and, and especially when you have boards of directors where the members have been serving for a long time and have developed own, their own personal relationships. Yeah, it's like and a social so, club. Mm-hmm. It's like a social club. It's like a family. And it's hard yeah. to tell. It's hard to tell Johnny 
Yeah, Johnny shouldn't be doing this with the money because <laughs> you and Johnny you, you golf and you have dinner together. These are these are your friends, and that's right. why you're picking the when you're picking the board of directors. You just pick a diverse board from different backgrounds and get some people that you know who are willing to serve, who you don't have a close knit personal relation with, relationship with, who will tell you, hey, wait a minute, you know. You're in a gray area here. You might right. want to rethink how you're doing this. Right, yeah. right. And, and, and you have and, to, as a board member, say those things because, again, you need to CYA. Yes, it's, yes, especially if, like you said, especially if you're a professional, like you uh, and uh, attorney um, DeBar Johnson were talking about. It's more than, you know, sometimes we take on these responsibilities, and but we're licensed professionals. It is, it is, you know, the license is our bread and butter. We, you, you, we cannot put that license in jeopardy. Um, you know, if we, you know, because the court is going to look at attorneys and accountants who sit on this board and say, well, you know, you are, you of all people are supposed to understand what fiduciary responsibility means. Right. And you, you have, have no excuse. You have no excuse. <laughs> and you have a duty to to okay. to do something about this or at least make mention of it. Well, we have a, a couple of callers on the line, um, Dexter. So we're gonna we're gonna take a call from Kathy. Kathy, are you there? Kathy wants to know uh, wants to know where to start uh, to look for someone, I guess, to start a nonprofit. Kathy, is that your question? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Okay. Question, yes, that's it. I just want to know the minimum requirements and what steps I need to take in applying for nonprofit status. Well, I, I would say this before you even start thinking about applying, do your research and actually find out what a nonprofit is. And then after that, this, well, there's, there's one, there's a grassroots journal uh, publication that they call Grassroots Grant, Grassroots Fundraising by Andy Robinson. And I, and I focus on grassroots fundraising. And that book by Andy Robinson is probably, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the go to reference when you're talking about grassroots fundraising and small community-based organizations, which I think we were focused on this morning. You know, mm-hmm. go, on, go on Amazon. I think the book is about $5 now, but it lays out it lays out how grassroots organizations are formed, uh, how we got this whole notion of foundation grant writing, because foundation grant writing for smaller nonprofits is a relatively new phenomenon, maybe about 25 or 30 years. Uh, that we've had small groups who are actually organizing, getting a 501c3 because it used to be, yeah, you know, there was a time where it was hard to get a 501c3, then the, the rules relaxed, and now we headed back in the other direction. Uh, right. So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you, you need to just understand how the nonprofit works before you just rush out and start a 501c3. But at a minimum, and I'll be answering the question. You get, you know, in Georgia, you would have to first, you know, incorporate the organization. You're gonna have to right. list your board, your board of directors. I think you gotta have a secretary, president, yes. and a treasurer. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go through that process of getting incorporated, and then once you get that, you know, you spend a few months developing your board of directors, developing a mission statement, developing a budget, uh, so you can, in anticipation of filing for the, uh, the 1023 501c3 application. You know, I tell people that could take anywhere from six months to 18 months. It just really depends on the IRS. That's true. That's true. Uh, it's yeah. taking longer and longer. Yes, it is. Yeah. And you go through that process, and then they're going to give you a, a conditional 501c3 letter. And then I, I, I can't recall 
is it three years after you get the conditional letter, it, it becomes permanent? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, you get your so permanent designation. You get your permanent designation. So that that's the process of getting the 501c3. But, you know, honestly, getting the 501c3 is much easier than getting the money because once you get the designation, then there's a whole different. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> true. That's true. A lot of people think just because you're a nonprofit, like, build it and they will come. Uh, no, the people will come who need the services, but not necessarily the money. So we we got we got one minute left. Uh, oh, we don't have one minute left. <laughs> My intern's like, no, we don't have one minute left. Kathy, did we answer your question? Yes, you did. Thank you. And I'm on Amazon right now. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> well, great, great, great. Um, we only have a few seconds left. Um, uh, Dexter, why don't you wind us down to? Tell us what I think your last words that you think we need to know, because we really, really, really appreciate you. you. And let people know uh, how to get in touch with you, contact with you if they need any any, uh, help setting up a 501c3 or whatever. So give us the last words. Sure. Uh, My name's Dexter Wimbers. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, My phone number is 770-861-7054. Say that slowly. uh, 770-861-7054. Eight six one seven zero five four. I'm an email kind of person, so if you want to get to me quickly, send me an email at dexterwimbish at bellsouth.net. Um, and I'll just leave by saying that, you know, fundraising is it's a daunting task, but the idea of being able to help your community, it, it really is enrich, enriching. And I would also say, you know, just because you think you need foundation money, doesn't mean you need foundation money because I've, okay. seen some, I've seen some organizations who did much more fulfilling and effective work when they were just having fish fries and <laughs> that way and not having to report back to a funder as to how the money was spent. Okay. And okay. Well, Dexter, we appreciate you so much. We appreciate you so much. We're going to have you back on our show. We have to end our show. You guys, we have been, you have been listening to Mind Your Business Radio, your business, your family, your, your life. life. See you next week. All right. All right.